The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox is here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. He has brought Mitch Fox with him. And you can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, morning, Scott. Morning, Mitch. So, you know, I think a lot of people, Don, are, and we've been talking about this for a bazillion years, how long can interest rates stay as low as they have been? But they're starting to, to, we're starting to hear some chatter about they might be on their way back up with inflation and such. Well, yeah, I guess inflation has been showing up higher than 4%. And and I I know we talked about this last in the show, but we're seeing some rises in, in particularly groceries well over 4%, 5%, even 10%. So yeah, that's and that's usually an impetus for rising interest rates. And we're starting to see it in the five-year rates. We had a client last week, um, had to lock in that day at uh, 2.3 for five years, still a great rate. But if you waited one more day, they're going up to 2.6. So that's a difference maker. And I know, Mitch, you, uh, you, you're certainly, t- that's your hot topic today, I hear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, rising rates and uh, mortgages is definitely a huge factor in financial planning here. So it's uh, uh, it's obviously a very challenging time to get a mortgage or to find one. Uh, it, yeah, it's, it's tough to qualify for a mortgage, especially with home prices being so high right now. So they're having to qualify for larger mortgages. Uh, and there's three waves of adversity that they're having to face right now, interest rates just being one of them. Uh, the first wave is change of spending patterns caused by gradual return to normal lives and normal spending as we work through the pandemic. So lots of people who are getting mortgages right now, they're, they're getting mortgages at such a low rate and they're not used to having to spend uh, lots, lots more money if the rates do go up. So there's actually an example here that uh, if a couple was buying a million dollar home, which is pretty common right now, and uh, then they have at that 2% interest rate at a five-year fixed, their, their payment's probably around 33.87 per month. And then come 2025, when they have to renew, interest rates have risen to about 4%, four, four and a half possibly is what they're saying it could go to. And now their payments are 38.92 a month. That's roughly $500 a month more in just mortgage payments that they're going to have to pay, which is $6,000 a year. Yeah, that's and, after tax money too. So that's uh, that's takes a chunk out of your pocket. Yeah, that's a great point. And that's thirty three. That's thirty thousand dollars for five years, and people are t- some are overextending themselves a little bit because they want to get in the market. But the market's also so hot with the with the real estate and the housing prices are so high. So these mortgages are a lot more expensive right now. Uh, people who bought homes in the past 18 months, they, they're going to have to relearn how to factor in vacations, entertainment, <laughs> and socializing into their household budgets. For the last while, all of these expenses, for the most part, were either put on hold entirely or were decreased significantly for everyone. The, the second wave is rising inflation, which has been a hot topic. Also, lots of people talking about this all the time. Uh, rising inflation rates would cause all the expenses to go up. I know you just mentioned groceries. Uh, gas is also through the roof right now. And everything else, whether that's dog food or, or vet bills, they're also going to increase too. Yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, good point. I was just, uh, we, we heat on propane at our house. And they're yeah. looking at propane going up by triple. Yeah, it's like 296% it's increased. Yeah, 
And it's like, holy smoke. So yeah, you know, for it's one thing to qualify for these mortgages, as Mitch is talking about. It's another thing to live yeah, <laughs> and actually have yeah. some kind of life. And all these increases were not taken into account on when they, when they actually signed up for the mortgage. Good point. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point right there. Uh, the people that got mortgages prior to COVID the, and have rates relatively the same prior to COVID. So if you got a mortgage before COVID, you're probably like 2.8 to 3.5, somewhere in there. And you've, you've had experience as to what your expenses were. You're, you're kind of knowing what, you, what you're going to get after the pandemic and when the rates go up. So you know your cash flow. And it's not going to be such a shock when rates do go up because you already know how much to factor in for vacations and all of your expenses. So people who bought in a very low rate environment, they're, they're like I said, they've been overextending themselves possibly a little bit because they want to get in the market. Uh, so what can these people do right now to prepare for these potential issues? Uh, paying yourself first right now and putting the money away, I personally would say is probably is the best thing to do. Cutting back on non-essential items, uh, mainly luxury ones, and putting a few hundred dollars a month away will build the habit for the next five years and create a nice nest egg. Along with that, putting money away right now for five years while that mortgage just started is very beneficial because when interest rates do increase and you have to renew, uh, your payments are going to go up, like I said, probably around $500 a month. At, so at actually, that's, that's, a, that's a good idea, Mitch. So if you're, if you're expecting interest rates to rise, then why not put some money, save in a TFSA, if you can afford it, almost, almost assume they're going to go up and, and, and pretend almost, if you will, that you're going to, you have to pay this excess money and therefore put some money away so that you're already ready for it five years from now. Yeah, exactly. At least for the next five years. And then once the rates do go up, you can kind of figure out, okay, well, maybe your income went up, but also your expenses went up. So you, and at least if the rates do go up, then you can have that money on that TFSA or you can reduce uh, you can reduce your payments into your TFSA. But for the next five years, cutting back on that non, non-essential luxury item uh, and letting that grow, at least you're putting away money for five years. And then if you have to stop when rates go up, you have all of that money that you've been putting away for five years working for you, compounding interest, which will just go a long way if you do have to stop when rates go up. So making sure to pay yourself first and put the money away into TFSAs and possibly RSPs, depending on the income and what your situation is, instead of non-essential luxury items, we'll build a nice nest egg. Um, now that we've established the rates and potential challenges of having a mortgage, we can talk about the risk of choosing the wrong mortgage rate. So there's there's variable rates and there's and there's fixed. And it's it's a tough one to decide right now because there's actually the largest gap between rates right now from variable to fixed. Uh, until the Bank of Canada decides to rate uh, increase the prime rate, which isn't expected until early next year. So since, uh, since 1990, past rate hikes have resulted 75 to 275 basis points increase in prime rate, which has led up to 200 basis points increase to the fixed rate mortgage and variable interest rates to rise as much as 275. So, so for, for the listener out there, a basis point. So a 100 basis point is 1%. Okay, so it's uh, so if it goes up by two point uh, two hundred seventy five basis points, that's two point seven five percent increase in the mortgage rate. So yeah, that's significant. Um, they often talk about basis of points. So when you listen to the news or you're what, reading the paper, but it's a, it's kind of confusing. Why don't they just call it what what it is? But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, it's uh, one basis point is one hundredth. So hundred basis points is one percent. 
Yeah, that's that's a good point right there. Uh, I have an example. If you take the average mortgage in Canada, which is $305,000 and the national average of 19 years left on that mortgage and paint two pictures here. Scenario A, the family has a fixed rate at 2.49, which is the best rate you can get right now. And scenario B has gone with the best variable rate, which is 1.34. The variable, if they lift the variable rates about 2.75%, which is at 275 basis points, which is the worst case scenario, the family who got a fixed mortgage would actually end up saving roughly $10,000 in interest over the five-year period compared to someone with a 1.34 variable. Uh, if rates only jumped 150 basis points, so 1.5%, which is about the average Canadian rate hike, then they would roughly break even on the amount but to choose to choose a variable right now when they're at all-time lows seems like it's a risky thing to do because uh, Canada rate hikes could go through the roof with inflation in the next being at three decade highs right now. The, the rates for fixed mortgages have been on the rise the last few months because of rising bond yields. Variable rates have stayed low because the prime rate has not increased. The prime rate isn't increased till next year, like I mentioned. Uh, other factors that need to be considered when choosing your mortgage is your five-year plan. Will you need a mortgage for just a few years? If so, locking in for a long fixed rate would cost a lot more in interest as well as breakage fees. Uh, another thing would be your financial cushion. Will your budget withstand a payment increase of a few hundred dollars a month if you choose uh, the variable increase there? And mental hardiness. Are you going to be able to withstand the the Bank of Canada rates if they decide to uh, increase rates significantly and hearing about that in the news because I know you'll hear about that in the next next few months consistently. Well, yeah, absolutely. When you're when you're looking at the rates rises, one thing to say, okay, very well, rates make sense on paper, but you're paying a you know two thousand a month this month, and it, and if it goes up, it could be three thousand a month the following month, and because when they go, they go. And right now, the variable the the prime lending rates at two point four five percent. And that's still the lowest has been for ages. This is, you know, prior to COVID, it was about 1% higher than that. So then, and you're getting these variable rates at, I guess, prime less 1% or even a bit more. So very enticing, but you do have to make sure you can endure that ride. And it may actually save you money, but you still have, like you said, that ment ment mental hardiness is, is a good term. Hmm. Yeah. And also, if you're able to lock in, if you have a variable, you got to know if there's going to be lock in fees, because I mean, you can take the risk of taking a variable and there are going to be ways that you can lock it in. But if you have lock in fees, it might actually end up costing you more than if you just took the fixed at the beginning. So, I mean, right now, getting a 2.49 fixed mortgage is extremely low. And I think it'll be very rare to see that any time past uh, the next few years here. I know a lot of people actually took the risk of breaking their mortgage during the pandemic to lock in for five years because it was down to 2%, 1.99. There were some really low fixed mortgages. And if you can lock in for that five-year time period, it, it actually did make sense uh, to break some of these fixed mortgages financially. Yeah, it's one, one of those things. It's, uh, it's always best to sit down with a financial planner. It, don't try to do this alone and work this out. It is confusing, as you probably have noticed already. And trying to you know, weigh the pros and cons of both and whether it's right for you. So these are 
these are great questions and something you should debate with your financial planner, which is which is best for you going forward. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more, or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. This is kind of interesting, Don. Uh, What an honest banker might say. What does that mean? <laughs> some some of some people might say it's a bit of an oxymoron. Mm. I, I think that's harsh. But uh, anyway, no, it's um, you know, it's it's November as I as I mentioned last week is Financial Literacy Month, and you know I, I love this one article Rob Carrick wrote back uh, November second, and it was saying you know it's among the top life skills is financial literacy. Yet it's one of those ones that. Rarely, unfortunately, they should, it should be a course in high school, um, if not even before that, to just teach some of the basics. And, and you know, money will not bring happiness, as they always say, um, possibly debatable, but misadventures with money are the leading cause of unhappiness. That reminds me of a David Lee Roth quote, and he said, money can't buy happiness, but it will buy you a big enough yacht so you can sail right up next to it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure if that's true or not. Oh, yeah, it's probably not far (laughs) off. But absolutely, we have seen people that had to make unfortunate decisions because they didn't have enough money. And in fact, it wasn't long ago, I just spoke with somebody and they had to help out their, their son. And their son, it was, I said, this is draining you. Your retirement will be vastly different if you keep going down this path. And unfortunately, it's very hard to say no to, to a kid. They went down that path. And now he, he's, this person continued working mid in, in mid seventies now. Yeah. And he, and I, and I just met them again and I said, okay, you got to keep working. Um, it's not really a choice. Um, it, it's, it's really you know, it just has to be, you can't meet yeah. expenses otherwise. So some of the things that, you know, one of the things what an honest banker would say is our savings accounts are a terrible product. <laughs> That's what they should be saying. These mm. are garbage. They honestly are, you know, um, billions and billions of dollars are in households locked from basically a lot of pandemic savings. People haven't been going anywhere. So there is so much money sitting in these savings accounts and they're going in at sometimes zero. Um, 0.05%. Okay. Now I said, is that really true? I actually, I, I researched this and, and I went to two banks, TD and Royal, but you know, I'm sure all of them are the same and TD has one. It's in the funny enough, it's called a high interest savings account. So really watch the terminology in these things because they will, they will trick you. So if you actually then ask them, what's the interest rate? Oh, it's, it's not a straight answer. They have to go find it. The, the, the tellers or whatever are, are looking there and say, oh, no, people, it's our high interest savings account. Well, yeah, what's the rate? So they looked at it. It's 0% for the first 5,000 sitting in the account. And it's 0.05% from, from 5,000 
and on. Even if you had a million dollars in there, you're only getting 0.05%. And I'm thinking, okay, now this is the whole point is there is a lot of things online that can get you better rates or alternative banks that are paying as much as 1.35%. You do have to watch the depositors insurance for those because you're only guaranteed to 100,000. And there's safety, I suppose, with the Royal Banks and the Bank of Nova Scotia's and the big national banks, the big six call it. But they all have the same CDIC insurance coverage. So it's 100,000 coverage and it really doesn't matter. Now, our cash account, the IG cash account is paying 0.8%. So I just spoke to somebody recently in the last uh, few weeks and they're holding money in a trust that has to be settled. And it is with one of the major banks. And so let's say they're getting 0.1%, which I doubt they are. I'm thinking it's still 0.05%. And they have a million dollars. That's $83 a month at, point, <laughs> at 0.1%. $83 a month. Now, if they put it into our cash account, it's $666 a month. Still not the best return by any stretch, but it's a heck of a lot better than 0.1%. And so you can see right there for zero risk, no difference in risk at all. You're almost $600 per month ahead. So extremely important to shop around for rates and don't get fooled by the, the name that's tagged on that, that account. High interest savings account is definitely an oxymoron. It is not at all. Hmm. Um, so number two, this would be great to hear too. We will gouge you if you have to break your mortgage. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> now, this is extremely true. Um, banks and most institutions, they've locked in a certain rate of return for themselves based on these higher rates. And I recently had a mortgage broker that was discussing that it was worthwhile paying the $6,000 penalty to get a lower rate now. Well, I did the math and it would be lucky to break even. And this is the whole point. If you went from a high rate to a low rate, it's, it's called interest differential. And they know that you're really, generally, generally speaking, there is no benefit, okay? Now, what people don't often know, and this isn't brought to their attention, is blending rates. And what you can do, and, and let's say you, have, you bought a five-year mortgage and it was at, oh, call it 4%, and there's two years left on it. And you say, you know what? I just listened to Mitch on the show here and I... I'm thinking I wouldn't mind locking in at two and a half. Well, you can't, you don't have to actually cancel your, or, or, or break your old mortgage to get the new one. You can blend. And what that means is two fifths of your mortgage is left. And so that two fifths would be at the old rate of 4% and three fifths of your mortgage or three of those last five years would be at the new rate of two and a half. So blended rate would be 3.1% for the next five years. And this is actually pretty good. So if you wait two more years for your mortgage to come due, well, let's say rates are back up to 4% again. By blending it, you've now locked your money at just over 3%, and that's a new five-year term. Now, banks love these because they're guaranteed to have the customer for another five years. Yeah. And it's a win-win as far as I'm concerned. So compare blended rates. Now, again, I often wonder... Is it really in the best interest? Who's, who's really looking after who when they're saying to, to cancel the mortgage or to break a mortgage? And I know in this particular case, it was a mortgage broker suggesting this and it's only benefiting him. It's because they would get paid a, a commission mm-hmm. to do so. Nothing wrong with that. But I, in this particular case, it was bad advice. So again, buyer beware. 
make sure you're doing the best thing. Now, number three, this would be awesome to hear, to be honest. We can't be trusted to tell you how much you can safely borrow for a mortgage. <laughs> okay, that would be great. If an honest banker actually said that, I would say, okay, kudos for you, man, because that is true. Because their parameters to qualify for a mortgage is sometimes, in my opinion, insane. I have literally seen somebody go bankrupt because they qualified for a million dollar mortgage. Um, I looked at the two. One earned about 70,000 a year. The other earned about 120,000 a year. They have two old cars. They have two young kids. And I'm thinking, how the heck would you want to have, afford the payments on this? And he says, well, we qualified for a million dollars. And I don't even think we're going to use more than 950. I said, <laughs> 950? You shouldn't qualify for about 650. And so it really comes down to real life. They, you look at the ratios and their job is to lend as much as they possibly can under their ratios. And that's, you know, it helps the banks. They get lots of money from this. And uh, they considered this is great. Um, they're, they're under their default risk, but it's no way it should be considered thumbs up that you will be able to carry that mortgage plus daycare, plus savings, plus expenses of everyday life. Never mind actually having a life. There is a, <laughs> what I really like is in, in the Global Mail, they actually have that what's called a, uh, a mortgage. It's a calculator and it's called a real life ratio calculator. So I was looking at that and it shows lots of extra things. So it's not simply, okay, your mortgage payment, which it does, and home insurance, utilities, condo fees added, but it also adds all other debt. What if you have a car loan? Okay, a credit card, um, maybe parents' debts, maybe even a, maybe interest-free debt with a, with a parent. Daycare costs. And that's, a, that's a important to add in there because that's happening. You know, you can't just fluff off the kids always to, um, to grandparents. And particularly now, after the pandemic, daycare costs likely went way down because a lot of them were working from home. And so they were kind of working between both spouses um, who could look after the new kids. Um, now it's like, okay, they're forced back to work in a lot of cases. And now the, you got to take the child and say, okay, we're back into the daycare costs again. Um, savings. As much as, you know, the bankers would love you to have a massive mortgage, at the end of the day, you should still save money. And I know Mitch just said, pay yourself first. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know, you need to put some money for RSPs. A, a group plan at work is extremely important if you maximize that, particularly if there's matching at, the, at work. If you're, uh, if you're not maxing that out at work, you're literally turning down some of your income. And I know some people can't because they've, they've taken on too big of a mortgage. And then they're actually turning down their retirement. Um, our ESPs. That's one thing about daycare costs. Yeah, they're high, but um, post-secondary education is not cheap either. University or college. And the time to start is when they're really young. And I know we've talked about that on, on a number of shows. And home maintenance. Now, okay, one thing to buy a house. Uh, next thing to maintain it. So it's, it's generally rule of thumb is 1% of the home value is what you'll spend on your house year after year. I know some years you get off a little lighter and other years not so good. But uh, so that would be number three. Number four, assume the term advisor means literally nothing in our branches unless shown otherwise. Okay. <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah, I know we've talked, we've we've beaten this one pretty good over the years, and particularly in Financial Literacy Month, we want to make sure that you who you're dealing with should be a CFP, a certified financial planner. Now, the banks do have another designation called a PFP. Doesn't have the same panage as a CFP, not as much, not as difficult, but still a reasonably good um, designation. It's a, it's a really, truly a bank designation. Um, unfortunately, those people that go from a PFP to a CFP have to restart all the courses again. Um, we have had some people in our business say, well, what's wrong with my PFP? No, it doesn't count. But at the end of the day, it's still a lot better than not having it. I was actually in the branch this week talking to the teller, quite impressed with the teller I was speaking with. He was all over. I'm, I'm, I'm working on my CFP and he really wants to be an advisor at the branch. So they are going that way. But again, don't be fooled by just the fact, oh, I spoke to an advisor. It necess doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. And at the end of the day, a CFP, uh, one of their core principles is you are a fiduciary, which means by law or by designation, if you will, I guess there's no law, but you have to look after the client's best interest. That's what you should be doing. And would you do this for yourself, your mother? Would you do this for the, and, and this is the kind of advice that you should be getting from a, from a CFP, okay? Number four, our home equity line of credits that are designed to let you stay in debt indefinitely, okay? And there's a lot of truth to that. A lot of them are interest only. So what happens with these really low interest rates right now is people are saying, you know what, I'm, I've taken on more debt. It's very tempting to take on a debt at, you know, 2.45 is a prime rate, and it's usually prime plus a quarter, prime plus a half. Um, if you are paying more than prime plus a quarter, just call your bank and, and your financial institution and say, you know what, I'd like to get prime plus a quarter, and they will get it done. It's amazing. I, I recently did this for a client. It's simply a phone call. But generally speaking, you won't get the phone call from the institution to say, I'd like to lower your line of credit rate. Hmm. Okay, we're not happy. That doesn't happen. Now, I do like home equity line of credits, but we had we did convert a lot of them back when interest rates are lower into five-year mortgages at 2% because at least you're paying off some of the principal. And it worked out not too different than simply paying the interest because very rarely does this happen that the five-year interest rate was far lower than, than the, the uh, home equity line of credit. That being said, as Mitch was talking about, a variable rate is still prime less one, which is a lot better. And that is the same idea as a home equity line of credit. It's a lot better to have prime less one than prime plus a quarter or a half, and you get to pay down some of the principal. So, and finally, we are addicted to link products called the market link GICs. I know, Scott, we've had these uh, topics uh, over the years and a market link GIC is, I, I don't even know why they're around to be honest. They try to link the equity markets to a rate of return. So I was looking at the rates of return on these things and they are extremely low. In fact, they're, one was uh, based on a TD banking, sorry, um, banking utility GIC. And so the three-year rate of return showed 7.5%. I said, okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty much what uh, banks are paying. That's over three years. That's not an annual rate. 
And so it's very misleading. And so the real rate of return was, was 2.44%. So these asset-linked GICs, be very careful with them. Speak to your financial planner because it doesn't really, the rubber doesn't meet the road when it comes to these type of products. And, and you really should speak to your financial planner about those. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net to find out more. And you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. We're talking about financing your retirement in this break. Yeah, a very common goal for everyone. It's at some point, everyone wants to retire and reap the rewards of all those years that they worked, all the hours that they put in and the hard work. But uh, how much will you need and where are the funds going to come from is, is a good question that everyone wants to know. I think the first thing that you want to do to determine this is to paint a picture as what you'd like your retirement to be like. What would you like to do and what, what's going to cost money in during that time? I'd say most people want to keep their standard of living pretty similar to what they're doing while they're working. Some people want to do a lot more. Some people actually want to do a lot less and reduce, at least they tell us that they want to reduce their spending to about like 20% of what they're spending. And that's rarely the actual case of what happens. But I would say for for the most part, there's three big stages when it comes to retirement planning. And I'm, I'm sure my dad's talked about this many times before, but I just think it's, it's a good one to talk about. And the first many years is called the go-go years, which are the early stages of retirement where everything's new. You just retired. You have, you have so much free time and you're just trying to figure out what you want to do at that time and how you want to spend your money. So this is just a big party. This is like a, you know, finally I'm out, I'm out of the workforce and, uh, and it's everything those commercials are always showing, right? Yeah, I mean, that too. And champagne's just popping everywhere. <laughs> it's, everyone's just going crazy, right? Sitting, sitting in bathtubs on the beach. Oh, no, that's a different commercial. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, sitting with Tony Romo on the beach with Coronas. I'm pretty sure that's, that's everyone's it. retirement dream right there. <laughs> oh, man. But um, yeah, so the first stage is those go-go years where you're possibly spending more money and everything's fun and everything's new and you're trying everything you possibly can to see what you want to do for that stage of your life, uh, which is great, especially while you have the health to do it. Uh, health is one of the, is the most valuable asset to your retirement plan and it's, it can change very quickly. The, the next stage is the slow go years, which really gets back to what you're doing during your, your working days. Everything's a lot more normal. You're used to it. You, you know what you like to do in your retirement. And this the spending typically goes down and it normalizes at that time. A little less champagne, a little less beach partying, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and then there's the, the, the last years, the, the later stages, which are called the no-go years. And it comes down a lot to health years that you're not going to be able to do as much as you were in those in those first years, in those normal years. And 
a lot of your expenses are actually ending up going to possibly healthcare, maybe retirement, retirement homes. And uh, this can actually be the most expensive part of your retirement plan. And this needs to be factored in for all of your planning stages. You, doing a Monte Carlo analysis in a plan, which is a stress test in our planning software, is something that all of your financial planners should be doing. Uh, all these three stages require some funding. It, usually those go-go years, they're the most expensive and the slow go as well. Uh, but what is the amount that you're going to need for your retirement? It used to be around 70% of your previous income will be needed, but now research is finding that you're going to need 80% or more in a normal retirement. And especially for those go-go years, and uh, you might need more for your travel. It might be over 100%. You might be spending twice as much as what you were for the first five years while you were working. It's quite common. Uh, so the most common question, I guess, how much income will I need during retirement? And am I going to be okay? And these are both great questions that you should be asking your planner, especially getting close to your retirement date and reviewing your financial plan annually. The best way actually, to actually, Mitch, uh, just to break, interrupt there, it's kind of interesting. We we're actually doing a plan. We actually break it down to kind of the slow, go, the, the go, go, slow, go and, and no go years and saying, OK, for the first 10 years, we're going to have this kind of expense for, say, holidays. And then we're going to drop it after 10 years. And then finally, the last year, yeah, we're going to drop that almost totally. Um, but then your health care expenses go up. So this is all incorporated in a, in a very detailed financial plan. Yeah, having a tiered plan, like you were mentioning there, having the first 10 years, large travel expense, and then tiering it down and or then maybe increasing it for the last 10 years, just having a lump sum expense, uh, having it tiered like that's a great way to do the planning. Uh, another thing that you're going to have to do is plan for people to live longer. Life expectancy keeps rising. And as we learn to keep in shape and eat better, uh, maybe not the last year when everyone was mainly sitting at home, maybe... Mm -hmm drinking a little bit more than they did and eating out or ordering food in a little bit more. But uh, at the moment, the average male is going to live to 83 years old and the average female is going to live to 86. But at least one member of that couple on average will live to 90 years old. This is much longer than it used to be. And that freedom 55 that used to be a constant norm is now it's rarely happening. Uh, I know my mom is actually in the office right now and she's wanted freedom 55 and her birthday is actually today a birthday shout out for her oh, she, 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 she like i said she's in the office and she's she's passed that freedom 55 and i know she talks about it all the time <laughs> but having to plan for a longer retirement is it's a big thing right now and i know our team here we actually plan for both people in the plan to live to 95 and that's if that's the case or not at least we plan for it and if there's in a state left at the end of that, then that's that's a good problem to have. The last thing you want to do is work your work your entire life and then retire too early and then have to go back to work at 90 years old and when your health isn't that good, or if you even if you're able to do that. So that's a that's a big factor right there that needs to be counted for. And another one is actually your medical expenses. Like I mentioned earlier, uh, wait times for subsidized medical care within Canada, it can be really long. And I know as we've probably experienced over the last year is that sitting at home doing nothing for a year, 18 months, is, is not fun. So having to wait for a year or two years for, for, uh, for some medical care is just going to be draining. So if people might want to opt in Canada for a private clinic 
to to get uh, healthcare right away or even go out of out of country to do that so uh, having these lump sum expenses built into your financial plan uh, especially if you go to the states it could be over a hundred thousand dollars for a medical expense and i know we factor in uh, common lump sum expenses into all of our plans, whether it's for auto purchases or medical expenses, retirement homes. We, we put all of these into our plans because we want to make it as close to real life as possible because these things do happen and there's, there's no advance notice on this whatsoever. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. Donfox.net to find out more. Or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or call them at 905-972-7420 at IG Private Wealth Management. Uh, Lots of chatter about minimum wage uh, lately, Don, obviously it going up. And whether it's a livable wage, it's I think people are confusing minimum wage with livable wage. I think those are two totally separate debates, but obviously it affects finance. It does. And I, I you know, I, I think you've probably said this before, Scott, is I don't think minimum minimum wage was ever supposed to be a livable wage. No, it was kind of an entry wage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, good for Ontario. Uh, moving up $15 an hour. Again, expenses in Ontario may be a little higher than other provinces. And we are actually not the highest in our, in Canada, but we're darn close. Mm-hmm. Uh, BC is at $15.20 an hour, yeah. and Alberta is at $15 an hour. And then as of January 1st, we're going up to $15 an hour, um, up from uh, $14.35, I believe it is. Yeah, so it's been a 4.5% increase. Now, that's a fairly significant increase but it really is about what inflation has been in the last year. Okay. And so people are saying, okay, it's kept up with the cost of living. Now, a lot of business owners are saying, oh my gosh, this is terrible. How are we going to afford this? And this is, we're going to have to fire people and, and perhaps, uh, you know, this is going to help hurt employment because we just can't afford this. Well, to be honest, most of these costs are often passed on to the consumer anyway. So you're paying for it. But big news happened last uh, a couple of weeks ago. David Card, he's a Canadian economist. He went to uh, Queen's University. He's currently at the University of um, California, Berkeley. He won a Nobel Prize and he got half of $1.42 million. And it was all based on minimum wage. Mm. And, and what he found out is it's really a myth. Increasing minimum wage does not result in reduced hiring. And he made this study back in the 90s um, using different fast food joints in one state versus another, and it had zero effect. And he also added, that was myth number one. Myth number two was immigration does not harm employment of native-born workers. And this was actually shown when um, back in, I think it was the 80s, when Cuba had a whole bunch of immigrants go to Miami, and they were all up in arms it's going to hurt all the employment of the people living here. It didn't. So at the end of the day, he's $700,000 richer based on 
the fact that this minimum wage will not end up hurting our employment um, employment status here. So, you know, looking at other provinces, the least expensive province out there is New Brunswick at $11.75 per hour. And funny enough, Saskatchewan at $11.81 an hour. Now, the reason I say that's funny enough is there's a lot of oil in Alberta and Saskatchewan I thought would be a lot closer. But Alberta's at $15 an hour and Saskatchewan's at less than $12 an hour. So at the end of the day, we're, it's a big jump. Um, it's gone from $10.25 back in uh, 2013 to what we have now. Um, so there's been a 4.32% increase per year for the last nine years. And that's pretty significant. And that's actually a lot higher than inflation. So that's, uh, that's it on the, um, on the minimum wage front. And uh, good for David Carr and uh, kudos for him for winning a Nobel Prize. Now, one thing I did want to finish off was uh, this uh, market link GICs. And I have come across them quite frequently. And I do find that most people that have got these are misled. And certainly if you look at the websites, anything that shows that here's the rate of return, most of those people think that is the annual rate of return and not the total rate of return for that three year or five year. Now you cannot cash these in early. That's one side of them. And the other side is they are cashed in exactly three years or five years later. So even if the market's down, you can't hold them any longer. Um, if you happen to do extremely well, if the market's doing fantastic like it has in the last three years, you are only capped at whatever says you're going to get. So you're going to make 7.5% in a three-year market like GIC, even if the Canadian banks did 40% during those five, three years. Hmm. Now, I guess the, the good news is, is they say, well, you can't lose money. Well, you can, I guess you'll get your principal back. Well, I'm looking at these banks and utility companies and their dividends that they pay, which qualify for the dividend tax credit, is certainly higher than 3% per year. So even if there was zero growth, you're going to get around 3% per year on performance. And these market link GICs for three years are only paying 2.44%. And this is also considered interest income. So if you're in a say a 50% tax bracket, you're losing half of that to interest rather than uh, significantly less if you're in an actual stock. So these are one of my least favorite items. The only one that wins the market least linked GICs are the banks. And I do, and people often think, and I've talked to them, they say, oh, well, you know, it's, it told me it's paying 22% for, and I said, yeah, that's for the entire five years. It works out to 4% a year each year. And, and they really, they, they have this blank stare. So these really have to be explained properly. The pros and the cons have to be, I don't see a lot of pros with this. I think they should, if you want a GIC, get a GIC. You're going to get your one or 2%. If you want equities, get a mutual fund invested in equities and have a proper diversified mix between them. And you'll do far better than simply this, a market link GIC. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Mitch Fox have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net or you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another great show, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Thank you, Scott. You yeah, too. Thanks, Scott.
The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.